With COVID numbers falling in some places and the vaccine on the rise, more thoughts are directed at how to get people back to work. More importantly, how to get people back safe. In your workplace, but also around you, have you noticed floor stickers on the ground telling you to keep a 1.5 or even 2 meter distance to others? Our interview guest for today, Randall, will tell you about his idea to gamify safe behavior and get people back to work. Hello and welcome back to COVIDwise Media. I am Nina and once again host of this interview. Today we will speak with Randall, the founder of MyBubble. Randall, why don't we start with you introducing yourself and telling us a bit more about the idea you had addressing socioeconomic consequences of COVID-19. Sure. Hi, my name is Randall Baron Chong. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders uh, and CEOs of MyBubble, which is an app that helps uh, gamify uh, social distancing and good uh, COVID behaviors. And as a first question, could you maybe describe the social problem you are addressing and also your beneficiaries? Yeah, so what we were trying to address is that uh, when COVID uh, first happened, social distancing was introduced in these kind of new concepts. And, you know, as someone who comes from a bit of a behavioral kind of economics and science background, um, you know, we recognized that it was probably one of the most drastic, widespread Uh, and fast changes to human behavior in history. We're social creatures, and I was trying to really think about how can we help people uh, be compliant with these behaviors so that we can all stay safe. In terms of who it benefits, it's really all of society. I mean, um, what we're trying to do uh, with good social distancing is obviously help reduce the uh, transmission of COVID. And so by keeping our distance, by employing these good behaviors, uh, it really is there to kind of help uh, the healthcare system to reduce transmission so it doesn't get overwhelmed, but also making sure people keep themselves safe and keep each other safe, um, you know, in a kind of social contract, making sure that uh, my good behavior also helps you stay safe as well. Yeah, so in terms of what my bubble started with was, was trying to help with um, kids and their behaviors because we saw that there was a lot of... Um, lack of compliance with good social distancing behaviors to begin with, but then we kind of pivoted towards helping people return to the workplace safety, safely. So um, we knew that employers were starting to try to look at ways that they could help their employees uh, get back to work. Um, how do they kind of make sure people stay on side with behaviors so that, you know, workplaces don't have outbreaks? Because at the time, uh, there were a large number of outbreaks in workplaces and it was forcing them to shut down. So we saw this as a way to help employers get back to business safely and in a way that could potentially be, um, you know, encouraging and not so negative for employees. And how exactly were you able to identify this problem? Um, also, what was the role of your team? Who had the idea and how did you in the end follow up? So in terms of uh, the genesis of my bubble, um, I come from a healthcare strategy background myself, and I had always tried to find ways to empower patients to make the right decision when it comes to healthy choices or make or employing good behaviors. Uh, when COVID came around, um, I had always been involved in hackathons, and there was a pandemic response hackathon being hosted by um, a large U.S. health tech company, um, and so you know it was a very kind of spontaneous process where. Over Slack, uh, kind of pitched the idea, uh, and then two other people from around the world came forward. A guy named Chris, uh, who is based in California, uh, and uh, a, a woman named uh, Kate, who was based in Ireland, 
uh, and you know his kind of expertise in Bluetooth, uh, Kate's expertise in programming, and my kind of perspectives in health strategy kind of came together to bring my bubble to life because we realized that social distancing behaviors were incredibly difficult. So we tried to think of how could technology encourage uh, a really difficult behavior. And in our call that we had prior to this interview, you already told me that you met your team through a like very unique situation, I would say. Um, so you all participated in a hackathon and that was basically where your idea was born. Could you maybe say what this process of finding your team meant for my bubble? Yeah, absolutely. Hackathons are kind of quick forced marriages in a way because not only could we not meet in person, but you know, um, we were spanning three very different time zones. Chris, who's a blue, the Bluetooth engineer, was based in California, working for a, a large uh, tech company. Um, Kate, who was the doctor turned programmer, was based in Ireland, and I, you know, in health strategy, was based in Toronto, Canada. So it was really difficult to kind of um, weave those three kind of time zones together. But we all had three different capabilities, which were critical to kind of building this product. Uh, and so, you know, it took a lot of working over Slack, uh, kind of playing off each other's expertise. Um, and then also kind of um, the hackathon environment really forces you to work fast. Uh, you have a weekend to essentially build whatever you can, uh, pitch it, uh, and then you get judged. And luckily in that first uh, hackathon, we were successful. We were one of the top 10 Uh, projects that were chosen and the panel was judges that included you know very high up former government officials who led uh, the government health programs in the United States uh, some senators and things like that uh, and then we kind of kept it going further because of that success and we added more team members who had certain functional expertises and we ended up winning an EU commission hackathon uh, for the category of protecting employees. So that kind of encouragement through the hackathons not only helped us work fast, but it also gave us encouragement that we were obviously doing something right. And that's how we kind of kept it going over time um, and then eventually to uh, the outcome that we arrived at. And from this, basically, what was the timeline of your first actions? Yeah, so my bubble went from, you know, Slack message on the uh, hackathon uh, page uh, to, to over a weekend to becoming that six, first success. And then from there, um, you know, our next big hackathon was the EU versus virus hackathon, which was about a month after that. So in that interim period, we were really kind of building things, uh, prototyping things. Uh, at that time, in parallel, uh, the rest of the world, these governments were building solutions which used a lot of the same technology that we were using in terms of Bluetooth technology to measure proximity for contact tracing. And so we were kind of adapting that same technology, taking some of those learnings as well, because uh, some of these governments were open, open sourcing their technology and code. And we were trying to figure out how do we apply it to our use case. So it was very rapid because we were moving right with the market, right with as other people were learning. And then big tech companies also started to help kind of enable these things with the partnership between Google and Apple in terms of opening up things like the Bluetooth capabilities and stuff like that. So it all happened really rapidly. And then after the EU versus virus competition that we won, um, it was, you know, we entered an accelerator program and that's where we kind of got the advice Uh, when we were looking into potentially getting ourselves uh, that kind of IP acquired so that um, a bigger company who had the full capacity had the weight of, you know, a sales tech um, and all these other teams to kind of really get it to market. So 
Um, it all happened incredibly fast from first message to the end is probably about six months. I mean, that sounds pretty crazy. And um, I can only confirm like the other social enterprises and um, COVID startups that we have talked to all said that time was super crucial in this situation, basically, and that they had to move extremely fast. So uh, definitely congrats that you um, pulled that off, basically. Now, could you maybe describe your solution a bit more in detail? So in terms of how my bubble works, there's kind of two key domains in terms of how to think about it. The first is the conceptual domain, which is rooted in kind of behavioral economics and science, which is how do you help enforce behaviors? And so what we wanted to do was to use positive reinforcement because we find that, you know, with these difficult behaviors, it's a good way to kind of first help encourage people to do it. Uh, but then we also used things like gamification uh, principles so not creating a game per se, but using some of the methods like, you know, tracking points, you know, losing lives if you don't comply with behaviors, uh, creating leaderboards, which creates this kind of social kind of influence in terms of encouraging each other to do better. Uh, we wanted to create this kind of behavioral root behind it so that it really made the behavioral behaviors positive, but it also made them last longer, what we call stickiness in terms of the behavior. So we didn't want it to just extinguish after, you know, one week or something like that. From the technical domain perspective, the way that it works is it employs a lot of the technologies that are found in your smartphone. And so what we wanted to do was to use things like uh, the Bluetooth technology, which could do things like measure proximity. Uh, and that's what it was, was being used for contact tracing at the time to figure out if you were within that 1.5 meters slash six feet uh, proximity of someone because that was considered too close. So we were using some of that. Uh, over time, we began to do things like um, geofence things to actually measure once you leave the house, uh, what are some of the things you should remember to do? So putting on a mask, um, making sure that, you know, um, you're washing your hands regularly. Uh, and then we also introduced other kind of uh, technologies that are based on your smartphone. Like we could use AR, uh, augmented reality, to actually show where six feet was. As people return to work, they might want to plan out their workspaces, make sure people are sitting six feet apart, things like that. We actually built an AR function as well. So we really tried to pull together all these different technologies and capabilities that already existed on a smartphone and apply them to a really interesting, specific to COVID behavior use case. And in your original business model that you designed, how did you plan for MyBubble to generate income? What were the revenue streams that you went for? So the way that we saw MyBubble in terms of a business model perspective was um, we investigated multiple different methods and, um, and approaches to uh, software like this. So, you know, we had thought of things like getting government grants to make this kind of a public good uh, that could be sponsored by corporations that wanted to, let's say, give prizes for people who were good at social distancing behaviors. But we found that that just was way too difficult. Uh, and there were, and it's um, not everyone necessarily had a smartphone, so it doesn't work at the societal level. But in workplaces like offices and things like that, we thought it could actually work because employers could encourage uh, all their employees to use it. The amount of technology that was adopted there is quite high. So we looked at the business models that align to the way that corporations or offices specifically at first, uh, how they were um, uh, essentially contracting for things like software. So we looked at kind of a SaaS type model where um, either um, companies could purchase a kind of um, company-wide license agreement or they could pay per user. 
Uh, and so that's what we were looking at in terms of the uh, kind of pricing arrangements and things like that. And in terms of the underlying costs, it was very marginal because really uh, all that's really tracked is the uh, points and the number of kind of like, let's say, burstings of bubbles. Uh, there wasn't any kind of interaction data that was gathered. We wanted to make sure we were respecting privacy. So the cost in terms of maintaining the solution was quite minimal. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of an appetite for, for SaaS type solutions, uh, we saw that many offices were investigating different types of return to work type software. As a next question, we would like to know what value exactly that you create for the beneficiaries. Um, you already talked now about uh, MyBubble heavily relying on positive reinforcements and also gamification. So could you maybe go a bit more in detail here? So in terms of the beneficiaries of something like MyBubble, I mean, for the employer, obviously getting back to work uh, as normal as possible is the primary objective, right? While keeping their people safe. Um, so, you know, they didn't have a ton of options other than at the time, which was just putting up posters, reminding people to say, stay six feet away or putting tape on the ground. But, you know, it really didn't reflect the way that employees actually interact in the workplace. So this is actually much more useful in terms of what we were trying to do is to really kind of um, measure those those interactions to make sure to nudge people whether or not they were violating things because it was so unnatural for people. This was kind of a friendly way to help encourage them. And as they kind of, you know, slowly over time uh, get nudged um, uh, in more in the beginning, over time they'll get nudged less and less because the behaviors become more ingrained uh, into their daily lives. And so what this was really trying to do is to help at the interaction level Uh, remind people of, you know, the staying on side of distance. Uh, it helped employees do it in a kind of positive way, uh, a compliant way. Uh, and we allowed kind of employers to do things like thinking about aligning incentives to it as well. So people who, you know, were, were good, beha good behaviors, uh, who exhibited good behaviors could actually get, you know, reward programs the same way that some employers have done things like pedometer challenges, where if you get your 10,000 steps, you win a prize or something like that. So we thought that this could be a natural extension of health and wellness programs that many employers were using, but this in a very specific COVID uh, behavior uh, context. Yeah, I have to say that sounds super interesting, actually. Um, as a next question, we were wondering, are you aware of any competing initiatives that are like maybe similar to my bubble? Yeah, so uh, in terms of competition, there were, I guess, primarily two different areas of competition. One, we saw a lot of physical devices uh, that were being built uh, using similar technology. So typically Bluetooth technology or some kind of ranging technology that helped measure the six feet. Um, but we found that, at least in our research, a lot of the um, employers didn't want to make that capital investment in building a physical device that was only um, usable in this specific use case. So after COVID, was there a lot of use for it? Probably not. So we saw that a lot of initial employers in our research did not want to make those investments because some of those um, actual physical devices cost between, I've seen between 25 to $125. Uh, dollars per unit. And if you think about a large organization, that's a lot of money that may only last, you know, a year or so. So um, the physical devices were certainly out there and their functionality was also quite limited. In terms of other pieces of software, we did see some people that were trying to look at similar concepts, 
but um, we didn't uh, necessarily see ones that were really translating uh, a lot of corporate kind of um, um, COVID return to work policies. That was one of the things we really focused on was we saw companies start to publish their uh, return to work guidelines. So everyone from like uh, manufacturers like Ford uh, to, you know, some of these um, warehouses uh, and companies like Amazon, what they were doing. And we were trying to essentially figure out, okay, how can we make sure that they're ticking their boxes using our technologies? So, uh, you know, in terms of we were very early on looking at this uh, and speaking to these clients and through our, the accelerator program that we were in, we were able to access CEOs and trying to tap into their plans and what they were thinking and what worried them at night. So we really built it with the user's feedback rather than us trying to just say, this is what we think the answer is. And in this rather unique situation to find a new company, what exactly was the role of partners and also government support for you? So one great example of government support was uh, the EU versus virus competition. So in most hackathons, once you've kind of completed the hackathon, um, there's not a ton of support after. Sometimes they'll give you a bit of mentorship. Sometimes they'll give you a bit of money to seed the um, uh, development of it further. With EU versus virus, not only was there a little bit of sponsorship money that we actually ended up winning by winning our category, which was protecting employees, but also they did something that was really unique uh, and I really liked was uh, something called a matchathon. So a matchathon was for the winners of EU versus virus, where they gathered together um, government representatives, academics, uh, leaders from corporations, including you know banks, manufacturers, um, CPGs, things like that. And um, because we were this kind of curated group of solutions, uh, we were able to actually kind of do that matchmaking directly with these folks. And so um, I don't think that we, the anyone else other than the EU Commission could have brought together this group of people um, to, to, to kind of talk about how do we turn, you know, concept or weekend project into reality. So. Um, having the EU Commission banner on that and saying that we were an EU Commission uh, endorsed winner, uh, that was uh, very powerful and helpful. And, you know, there were a lot of other solutions, everything from the arts and um, things around medical devices and things like that, that, that were also part of this hackathon. So um, the EU Commission, I think, broadly was able to help a lot of these companies come to fruition. And at one point, you told me that you were acquired by a large health tech company. And although you cannot disclose who it is, I thought we could still talk about it a little bit. So I think I'd be um, interested to know, um, how did they know about my bubble? And also, how will this affect um, scaling this initiative? In terms of how uh, my bubble moved forward was... Um, We had been in touch with many different companies that were doing return to work solutions. Uh, we had been approached by, you know, consulting companies, by um, tech companies and things like that. And we were just kind of exploring who was looking at return to work and how our kind of unique kind of selling proposition uh, that didn't just look at, you know, um, it wasn't just the tech part that was interesting to them. It was this behavioral element that was unique. Um, and really the concept behind it, there was a lot of work uh, that was put into how to design gamification principles and marry it to the tech. So that was what was really unique to most of these companies that were interested. Um, and so we had come across uh, quite a few that we had talked to. Uh, there was one in particular that was interested in, in acquiring, especially the concept elements. Um, 
And the team that we had built at the time, uh, as I mentioned, we, we had added a few more people, uh, some people on the west coast of Canada and, and some from Germany and things like that. So we weren't even incorporated at the time. So myself as the kind of team lead was looking at what's the best kind of outcome we have, because I don't think um, uh, any of us were ready to, let's say, make a full-time business out of this. We didn't know how long COVID would last and whether or not this was a sustainable uh, kind of uh, venture for us to operate. So I was trying to think of what's the best way out and what's the best way to maybe make this happen or real because we really needed to, to scale. If you want to service an enterprise level business, so if you wanted to help a, a corporation do return to work, you need a big, big team. Everything from the tech people to legal people who can do the contracting and we're talking about something sensitive like this. You need a big sales force to be out there to constantly pitch and sell. So it it the undertaking was too massive. So we thought the best thing would be to hand over the baby to someone who could incorporate it in, into what they were doing. And so there was a company that was building return to work solutions that um, could marry some of the stuff that work and, and, you know, code and stuff like that, that we had built. Plus, you know, really take this concept itself and all the kind of thinking that went behind it. Um, which was kind of laid out in terms of the design principles and all these kind of, um, let's say mechanical elements of how the tech marries the kind of concept. Uh, and then they could then adopt it as part of their return to work solution. And uh, it's not called my bubble, but um, essentially all of the kind of elements and principles behind it are included with theirs. Unfortunately, um, return to work has been much, much slower than anyone had expected. At the time over the summer when we were doing the acquisition, uh, we were expecting that uh, many companies were going to return to work by um, September uh, or the fall. Uh, and clearly most offices, especially, which was one of our first target markets, uh, they're still not even uh, returning to work um, right now. So uh, we haven't necessarily seen, let's say, massive scaling or expansion of this yet. And that's, again, market driven because of what's going on uh, in the kind of COVID second wave and third wave. Thank you. That sounds super interesting, actually. Um, what does this mean for you as a founder? Um, are you currently still involved and do you plan to still be involved in this? No, it's been it's essentially been handed off entirely. Um, yeah, like like uh, some of the other team members uh, had a job at the time um, or were starting new jobs. So it just uh, we thought it was just best to kind of hand it off to someone who could fully own it. Um, maybe let's go back again a bit and talk about your business model. You already mentioned that your business model and the value proposition changed a bit from what you set it out to be in the beginning. Could you tell us a bit more about this? My bubble in V1 started as a, a kids game, essentially, or, or gamification for kids in terms of uh, helping them encourage Uh, good social distancing behaviors. Uh, early on in March, uh, when, when these things were introduced, uh, you know, several of our team members and myself would see teenagers, you know, out in, out in the wild, uh, not respecting those rules at all. There were a lot of articles published about how kids were just not complying with social distancing, staying at home, things like that. So we saw that as kind of like, they need the most help with this. Um, but we kind of came to le learn two important things is that, Uh, one, uh, not all teenagers have um, uh, smartphones, um, so that kind of that smartphone technology was necessary for what we were building. 
and it needs both sides to have a smartphone and the app uh, for it to work because it needs to essentially talk to each other. And that's the same with many of these contact tracing apps that you see from governments. So that kind of made it difficult for us to employ it. And then secondly, the business model wasn't great. Uh, we didn't see parents necessarily paying for it and to get governments on board to encourage it and essentially subsidize it would have taken far too long for us to ever go to market. So we essentially had decided to abandon that business model. But we did start in our research, kind of figured out that, well, employers are starting to think about return to work. Uh, employers, uh, especially certain types of employers, like, like offices, for example, professional services, um, there is a high smartphone adoption. Uh, employers do have the right to, you know, kind of encourage or even enforce the use of um, technologies or certain rules uh, if it's in the name of health and safety, which we consider this to be. Uh, and then second, the business model was there in terms of there is appetites to find uh, and purchase uh, software as, as a service uh, to essentially uh, encourage workplace safety. So um, like I said, some of these things are akin to some of the wellness programs that they were already investing in, in terms of you know quitting smoking or being more active or things like that. So we just kind of saw that this was a much easier kind of uh, market to service. I think another very crucial question for everyone starting a business nowadays is how did you approach marketing and communication channels? Um, I mean, especially in the beginning when you had the idea and tried to get it off the ground, basically. There was a lot going on at the time, right? And when uh, my bubble was getting started, it was uh, very early on in the pandemic. It was at the end of March that the first hackathon happened. Um, in parallel around that time or in, in April and May, uh, companies started to really think about what's our return to work strategy? Um, and they were all figuring them out, figuring it out together. It was completely new to them. And so we had to figure out how do we kind of break through and get to the people who are actually sitting at the table making that decision. And so rather than, let's say, just um, kind of, uh, let's say, doing social media or something like that, uh, we tried to be smarter, especially as we pivoted towards businesses, uh, to focus on who sits at the table to make the decisions around COVID return to work policy. And so the kind of two core people that we looked at were HR people, because HR are typically responsible for health and safety within an organization, as well as the kind of COO level people. So chief operating officers, because they were typically also responsible for, you know, the processes and the, and the kind of programs that were involved in doing the work within the organization. So um, we use things like LinkedIn to target, you know, people with those kind of titles. Uh, we also tried to look at who were, who was uh, starting to build uh, some of these um, these plans. Some companies started to publish these things, um, and they had put broad strokes in terms of what are the principles and things that we want to include, but didn't necessarily have the technology yet. So we tried to always position ourselves uh, to industries that were starting to return to work or are already returned to work. Uh, and then we tried to figure out who were the kind of buyers and decision makers within those organizations that we could, you know, share the good word about MyBubble. That sounds really great, I have to say. As a next question, we were wondering, would you be willing to work together with students and also people following our COVID-wise project who basically seek to replicate your idea? Absolutely. I don't know if I can make them successful, but uh, <laughs> um, but, but COVID, like it's honestly... Uh, everyone's kind of figuring it out. We've seen multiple different business models 
employed. So um, it's really more trial and error, just like what we did. And basically coming to the last set of questions for our interview today, do you think that my bubble will be continued beyond the pandemic? Like, can the business model exist maybe with a few adjustments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fundamentally, what my bubble is about is about encouraging good behaviors and doing it in a um, kind of intelligent, but maybe fun and positive way. And that was kind of a principle that we we bought into from the very beginning. Um, we wanted to introduce behavioral change. We didn't want to make it seem like a punishment. We wanted to, you know, make it uh, positively encouraged. Uh, and so if you think about any good behavior, so, um, you know, we tried to do things like uh, also encourage if someone bursts their bubble, they can earn their bubble back by, let's say, watching a video about COVID information or engaging someone um, uh, because at the time, you know, engaging your friends and family was very important because we were kind of socially distanced during lockdown. So what we were trying to do was essentially introduce incentives, use the technology to find a way to measure it, uh, and then produce the outcomes and feedback, whether it was through, you know, a vibration or earning points or leaderboards, um, those three things. So the measurement, the kind of reinforcement or that reward, uh, and then that feedback was all designed to help improve behavior. So um, the concept itself could be applied to really anything about encouraging good behaviors. Uh, and as technology gets better, um, you know, this is going to be, it's going to expand the opportunities for what behaviors we can help encourage. And as a final question, what we always love to ask is, um, what were the main challenges in this whole process for you? The main challenge is COVID itself. It was such a, a kind of changing uh, context. I mean, um, there was optimism to, to potentially get back to work, like I said, in the fall. Uh, and that really was not turning out. Um, we, there was challenges in terms of the policies themselves. Different you know, jurisdictions around the world had different policies when it came to everything from uh, masking to are you allowed to leave your home? There were some places in strict lockdown, so um, my bubble suit suddenly loses relevance. Um, and then there were some places that had different rules in terms of um, the distance even. So, you know, some countries said two meters, some said 1.5, there were even some that said one meter. So it was really difficult in terms of anticipating where COVID was going, what relevance our product would have. And we tried to make ourselves a bit more modular or at least adaptable so that it could um, work that way and can kind of fit these markets. There's no one size fits all solution. And then the second challenge was in the technology itself. Uh, Bluetooth um, proximity detection was relatively new in terms of its deployment in this context and at this level of precision. And that's why you saw early on even these governments that built contact tracing apps and put millions of dollars into it. Uh, the NHS famously uh, built, tried to build one and failed at it in the UK. Um, and, and Apple and Google had to kind of come, up, come out and kind of make, uh, release some APIs to help people create more precision with Bluetooth technology and allow them to kind of talk to each other too, so that you could actually use, unlock this functionality. Um, the technology itself was, was, was very difficult and was something that was evolving day to day. So uh, the situation, the technology, um, but the, and the team stuff was difficult, but compared to those two, simple to, to, to weave. And with these words, we actually close the interview. Thank you so much for taking your time today and for answering all my questions. And um, I'm pretty sure this was super interesting for a lot of people. Thank you. 
No, thank you for having me. And for, you know, social entrepreneurs, um, I think a lot of the times the return on the investment of your time and effort is sometimes very long or sometimes is zero. But uh, I think, you know, the dividends are not necessarily just financial, but the fact that, you know, many of us in our team, we felt kind of desperate during the situation because we felt hopeless and helpless in terms of being able to contribute to the pandemic. But with this small way, we felt like we got a dividend of not only like, you know, let's say a little bit of money, but actually we felt like we helped people return to work safely. And so that was our kind of little contribution to the pandemic. So to all social entrepreneurs, just uh, keep going um, and know that uh, if your heart's in the right place, uh, success will follow. Thanks a lot. And with these final words, we have reached the end of this interview. If you have enjoyed this format, either as a podcast or in this video, please hit like, subscribe and tell your friends about it. Feel inspired? Find out how to get involved and head to our website covid-wise.org. COVID-wise is a production by the Social Business Model Panorama and Copenhagen Business School.